Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership, where we connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important topics to help us on our journey towards greater significance. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Mike Bosworth is well known throughout the business sales world as a thought leader, speaker, sales philosopher, entrepreneur, and the author of best-selling sales books. He began studying the power of story as a framework for building emotional connection in 2008 and published a book, What Great Salespeople Do, The Science of Selling Through Emotional Connection and The Power of Story in January 2012. In January 2013, Mike founded Story Seekers with a focus on teaching people how to connect with strangers using a story framework. Our interview will begin right after messages from our sponsors. Have you been wanting to launch your podcast and just haven't found the right resources? I launched Master Leadership Podcast in 2016, and it now ranks in top 1% globally. I've gathered all I've learned and created Master Your Podcast in a Weekend course on Master Your Swag app so that you have everything you need to share your voice with the world, minus those excuses. So download Master Your Swag app on Google or Apple platforms to access the Master Your Podcast course and launch your podcast this weekend. Welcome, Mike Bosworth. How are you? I'm very well. Happy to be here with you. Well, I'm excited to have you. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? Sure. All right. So, Mike, tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Well, I was a intuitive star salesperson at Xerox Computer Services in 1974, 1975, and 1976. And I first realized then that star salespeople demonstrate an amount of leadership that most CEOs never have to. Because if I'm a star salesperson and I'm trying to get your organization to spend a couple of hundred thousand dollars on our technology, I have no authority over you at all. Zero authority. So I've got to be able to figure out a way to inspire you to change without authority. Influence without authority. And the biggest enemy of most corporate leaders is they're abusing their authority, not consciously, but their use of authority and their appointed authority hugely diminish their potential effectiveness with their subordinates. Because if you think about it, most human beings hate being told what they need to do. Yes, a great majority. 
<laughs> a great majority. You know, when I used to do these sales workshops, I'd say, how many of you are in a romantic relationship? And, you know, two thirds of the people would put their hands up and I say, all right, on the next break, call that person on your mobile device. And within 30 seconds, try two to three you need to statements and see how they respond. Because if you think about it, if the person who in theory loves you more than anybody else in the whole world won't take it from you, why would your subordinate or your customer? That's right. Well, you know how we glorify the military in our country. And so many of these big corporations, their leadership is populated with people who are ex-West Point and Annapolis and Air Force graduates. And when you come out of the military... You don't have to connect, inspire, and influence. You just tell people what to do, and they do it. And that command and control atmosphere is what you find in most big companies. And in the article I sent you, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, he was quoted recently, and he says, nobody quits companies, they quit managers. And so... My sales training path led me to storytelling in 2008, when I realized that despite the best efforts of so many big companies and technology, et cetera, the 80-20 rule in the B2B sales world has not changed in the last 50 years, meaning 80% of the revenue is brought in by 20% of the human beings. And I finally came to the conclusion that the reason for that difference is not IQ, and it's not the number of hours they work, and it's not where they got their MBA from or anything. It's their ability to emotionally connect and build trust quickly with strangers. And that's not taught in MBA programs or... Or medical school, or engineering school, or, in or financial planning school. Or in education. Or, in, or teaching. Yeah. So the solution to that problem, and ends up being so many problems in society, is being able to purposely build, tell, and tend stories. So if you're in sales, you want to build and tell stories about other people you have already helped. For instance, if I was on an airplane sitting next to you and we started chatting and I said, uh, Lily, what do you do? How would you answer me? I interview amazing guests on my podcast and we up-level how leadership occurs in this world. What if I came back to you and said, can I share a quick story about another leadership podcaster I know? What would you say? Sure. Pure curiosity. So we teach salespeople to go up to CFOs and IT directors and, and, oh, you're the IT director. Can I share a quick story about another IT director I've been working with for the past two years? No one turns down a peer story. People have a huge amount of curiosity about their peers. And if you get permission in 10 seconds to tell that peer story, now that person has granted you 60 seconds of story time. And in that 60 seconds, you can lead that person through your short story to the emotional conclusions that, wow, you know, this person looked too young to know anything about what I do, but it sounds like she really understands how hard my job is. And it sounds like she's helped somebody like me 
solve a problem I haven't figured out how to solve yet. So I want to know more. And it takes away the natural discovery resistance most people have to strange salespeople. And once the discovery resistance comes down, now there's enough trust that they will allow you to ask discovery questions. And, you know, you started off telling your leadership journey as an intuitive star salesperson. Now, I've not heard that before. I was intuitive as a salesperson. I was the best salesperson in the company. And I spent the next 30 to 40 years trying to put a conscious framework around what I had done intuitively so I can teach others. Right. You know, there's lots of people who know math, but not very many people who can teach math. That is absolutely right. So going from a salesperson who you recognize that you were intuitive and then teaching that, that gives you a deeper understanding. So tell us what you're doing now. Well, what I'm doing now is I am trying to leverage all my sales and marketing experience over the years and helping my wife launch her business, which is called Weconcile. It's a mobile app that helps partners and individuals improve their own relational ability, their own ability to be in a relationship. And if you're in a relationship, then obviously it helps the two of you connect more, get safety, vulnerability, all the things that improve connection. Even if you're raised by perfect parents, you still have emotional wounds. Everybody has emotional wounds. And when two people get into a relationship, no matter how heady it is, eventually the emotional wounds are going to bump up against each other. And the key to relational happiness is how you as a couple deal with those bumps and collisions. And a lot of people get highly reactive. They're able to uh, disguise their reactive behavior for the honeymoon period of the relationship. But sooner or later, the reactivity and the wounds start coming out. And what Weconcile does is it helps you put narrative around your own reactivity. So you can say, you know, I shouldn't have reacted that way. I just couldn't help myself. But when I think about it, back in my family of origin, that was the only way I could get any attention. And if I can start to put narrative around my own wounds, then I can share my narrative with you as my partner and you respond with empathy instead of acrimony. I love this. And I took a peek at the app and I think it's very needed, very important work. And what I love about this too, is that in leadership, if you don't take care of those wounds, they're magnified in leadership. Absolutely. It's one of the most important things that leaders should be doing. So tell us how we can connect to your work. Well, the easiest way to get a hold of me is just Mike at Weconcile.com. I'm spending the majority of my effort helping get the Weconcile out there. And another key piece, though, I use stories in sales training, and then I use stories in leadership training. And we're now finding one of the key features that users like in Weconcile, for instance, if they're having some kind of a spat and there's over 200 topics and they pick a topic like 
mother-in-law problems or family of origin or whatever. And they go in there. And once you get into a topic, how do you like to learn? You can audio or you can read nuggets or you can read stories about other couples. And people love reading stories that normalize their own experience. Because one thing we know that people have a lot of shame about is when their relationship isn't working out so well. Because we all go into it with such high hopes. And there's a lot of people who are never going to divorce, but they also have just accepted the mediocrity of a roommate in their relationship. Right. So it's weconcile.com. Well, it's like reconcile, but we can sell. So W-E and then capital C-O-N-C-I-L-E. And if you just want some tidbits, my wife, Jennifer, who's the author, if you go into YouTube and put Weconcile, there's a Weconcile channel on YouTube. And she's got 60 to 90 second tidbits on relationships where she's speaking to you. And she just posted one about... Most of us have unfinished business with our parents. Yes. So you mentioned that she's an author. Is that well, Weconcile right? is a system. It's got 10 times the content of a book. There's over 200 high-level topics that go into nuggets and stories and lessons and exercises and thought helpers. One thing men really appreciate are the thought helpers because there's two problems. One is a lot of men were raised to stifle their emotions. Don't be a baby, don't cry, you know, be a man and toughen up. And so they weren't even allowed to really express their feelings and emotions in their family of origin. And then they also have a biological disadvantage compared to females because you know how we have the left side of our brain and the right side of our brain. And the left side of our brain is our language, our analytics. The right side of the brain is where we're in touch with our feelings and our emotions and our senses. And in order to really be able to put narrative around your own wounds and experiences, there's got to be a good connection between the language side of your brain and the feeling emotion side of your brain. And women have a biological, much bigger path. It's called the corpus callosum between the left side and the right side. So it's like women have high-speed internet from the left to the right, and men have a dial-up modem from the left to the right. Why we can uh, multitask easier. Yeah. We switch very quickly is what we do. Certainly, we'll plug into WeConcile.com because the work is important, especially for leadership to create sustainable, healthy cultures in our organizations. And so Mike, as a lifelong learner, what are you learning right now? That the more time I can spend in the present and not focus on the rear view mirror and not be preoccupied with trying to plan too concretely into the future, the more I can just be the happier I am and the more I learn and the more I'm open to connecting with other people and it's life enhancing. How is that going? Because sometimes we need to have a practice to help us reset that, right? 
Well, you know, it's interesting because we can tell one of the buttons on the front screen is the I need help button. And it's when you're in a fight and you're triggered and you're furious at your partner and the application actually calms you down. It asks you questions and gives you menus. Are you feeling this way, this way, this way, this way, this way? What would you like to do now? And it's menus of choices and thought helpers and the language. And it even helps partners put together a message to their partner to start to normalize things again. You know, as a leader, how do you maintain that awareness of staying in the present? Sometimes you have to employ your conscious mind to help you change your behavior. And the best time to do that as a leader and when you're in front of your people or even individuals, where the most important thing right now in the present is how are they emotionally reacting to me as their leader? If you go to a lot of these corporate meetings, I've been a guest speaker for you know hundreds of them, and you see these guys with fancy titles get up in front of the room. They don't have the room. There's three, 400 people in the audience who are texting and chatting. I mean, he's up there talking. They don't own the room. It's terrible. And most of those people, if you think about it, they came out of the military where they didn't have to own the room. All they had to do is get up in front of the room and give the orders. But boy, that doesn't work. Real leadership is when they volunteer to choose to follow you. And there's a a little rule that I've come up with over the years, both as a star salesperson and as a leader. And that is one of the big keys to connecting with other human beings is your own vulnerability. And if you're willing to open up and be vulnerable, there's an emotional reciprocity and the other person will too. And do you have time for a quick story? Of course. Back when I was at Xerox, one of my mentors was a quirky little geeky looking guy. He had a naturally downturned mouth and he had hair that looked like a toupee, even though it wasn't. Physically completely disarming. No one was ever threatened by him. And he went to Northwestern and majored in psychology And he was a star salesperson too. So he was always experimenting with, how do I connect with strangers? And he had five kids. And so multiple times every year, he'd find himself in a room full of other parents from the same school for a fundraiser or back to school night or whatever. And initially he'd go around not try and talk, but just keep his ears open and start listening to some of the conversations these other parents were having with each other. And they were always having the who's got the coolest kid contest. Well, mine got into Brown and mine's going to play lacrosse at Johns Hopkins and mine's going to medical school. And so after he realized that that's all he was hearing, all these superficial conversations about how great their kids were, He'd go up to a stranger and eventually say, hey, my name's Bob, and I've got a kid here. I've got five kids, one of each, and one of them goes to the school. And the other person would introduce himself, and then Bob would say, you know, four of my five kids are doing great. Two of them are out of school, have great jobs. Two of them are still in college, loving it, getting good grades. But my number five is breaking my heart. She got picked up for shoplifting last Saturday, And I think I might have to put her in rehab. Now, Bob was making this stuff up. 
But that got the other person to say, oh, we've got one of those too. In other words, because he was vulnerable first about his problem child, the other parent got off the pedestal and opened their kimonos, so to speak, and became vulnerable too. And so when you're a leader, if you've got a situation, terrible one is where you think you might have to put somebody on a performance plan. That's the part of being a manager in corporations I hated and why I left. I hated having that kind of control over other people, even though intuitively I wasn't very didactic. But when you can go vulnerable first, then your employee can say, you know, I know I haven't really been pulling my weight around here lately, but we found out three weeks ago my kids got cancer and we're really wrestling with it. But that employee was never going to share that with that leader until the leader gets vulnerable first. And that's so important in developing trust, right? Yes, yes. You know, three things that those you lead want to know. They want to know that they can trust you. They want to know that you care about them and they want to know that you can help them. All of the above. They know that they will perform. They will do the best of their ability to do their best job possible. But the key is as a leader, setting the groundwork and creating a safe space for them to connect. The other thing though, that with leaders is we help them with a menu of stories that they have in their pocket. Even though you should always get permission first to tell a story. Still, if a story goes much past a minute, it might be too long. It sounds like great resources for leadership. Yeah. You know, it is about relationships. It Um, is. It all is. All right. So, Mike, when you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? My concern overall is that over the years, I've seen some spectacular companies who were privately held, had a leader, and then they sold out to a big corporation or they did an IPO and, you know, had a board and shareholder expectations. And so the focus of the leadership shifted from when they were private to keeping customers and employees happy and thriving. And now that they're part of the New York Stock Exchange, all the time of the senior leadership is focused on the quarterly earnings, keeping the shareholders happy. And that causes them to make decisions that are more in favor of the shareholders than the employees and the customers. That's the worst thing about our corporate setup is how our economy and everything's, how's the market doing? But that market system causes these big companies to make decisions that favor stockholders over employees time and time again. It is something that many are concerned about, especially when we're in leadership positions and we're trying to operate from a space of emotional intelligence. Yes. So what are you most hopeful about? I am most hopeful when I see the next generation. I've got a son who's 45 and he's 10 times the dad I was. It just warms my heart to see that the next generation of males are much more involved in raising the kids versus going to work 55 hours a week and letting the person staying at home raise the kids. I'm most hopeful for the future for seeing these young dads. They're fabulous. 
Yeah. Inspiring. We're all learning, right? We can all learn right. each other. Learning from different generations, it's a beautiful thing, you know, if we're really listening to each other. Oh, well, the fact that I've got a great two-way conversation with my kids means that I'm listening to some really cool music I never would have known about in my entire life. I'm reading really fun books I never would have known about in my entire life. And they are really good at tech support. Whenever my kids come up, they're always helping me figure out a new feature in my computer system or, yeah, it goes both ways. <laughs> I love it. All right. So we have a question from a former guest. So Fred Joyle wants to know, what would happen if your business got twice as large as you imagined it to be? Well, is leadership or financial return? I think one has an influence on the other. Well, I meant for the first time, you know, my entire corporate career, I was always helping people sell big, expensive things to corporations. Now I'm selling something to individuals that costs them less than their latte budget every month, something for $13.99 a month that can change their life can help them figure out why they keep picking the wrong partners. It can help them repair damaged relationships. I really think if we had a law that required all couples when they get engaged, they have to spend at least 50 hours on weekends before they're allowed to get married. I bet the divorce rate would drop like a stone. And what would happen if they needed to do this before they became leaders or on their journey to becoming leaders? Well, you know, I find that really good relationships, each partner is a leader to the other. They open the world to the other, to places that individually they would never go. You know, Lee Iacocca used to say that his definition of leadership was creating a vision and then inspiring people to walk towards that vision. Right. It's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. I do have one foolproof thing for a relationship that is 100% works, and that is, in, in my case, marry a couple's therapist. <laughs> it's fabulous. It's like I live in an emotional growth boarding school. Love that. Well, I'm not sure if we responded to the question. What would happen if your business got twice as large as you imagined it to be now? Well, we're imagining it, that it can get pretty big because 90% of all couples really could use some help. So the market is huge. It's everybody's relational happiness could be improved, whether they're a 29-year-old still living at home with their parents in their basement as a single person or a married couple. It's relational harmony and, you know, it's going to leave the world a better place. But if it really, if we get a million people using it at $13.99 a month, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about one of your concerns was a private company becoming public. So what if it got that big? What would you do differently so that it won't? I would try to keep it private. There's no law that says you have to go public. And I believe that it could be still very lucrative privately. And I'm way into philanthropy. You know, there's 112 nonprofits here on Orcas Island. And I love giving money away. And then for the past three years, 
I've been taking all my money and putting it into the development of Reconcile instead of giving it away the way I used to like to. So I've financed the company so far. So I'm hoping to get this thing to be really financially stable and generating lots of money so I can be the world's happiest philanthropist. You know, I think you'll be happy no matter what because of <laughs> your energy. You love what you do. You love helping people. You enjoy bringing value to people. And that's super important. I do. I do. I appreciate that. So here's a chance where you can even drop some more value. As a listener of this podcast, Mike, what's a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to? Like, what are you curious about? I would like to hear more parental stories. As an example, I did a leadership workshop where it was 21 C-level executives in there. And so most of them, their age was late 40s to 60. And in front of these leaders, I said, what's the hardest group of humanity to influence? And took them a while. Finally, somebody said teenagers, because teenagers are all emotional brain and no logical brain yet. And so I asked the audience, I said, how many of you have teenagers? 18 of 21 had teenagers. And I asked them, then I said, how impressed are your teenagers with your fancy CEO title? And, you know, they all looked down. They wouldn't even make eye contact with me. And then I said, your homework assignment tonight is to write a 60-second maximum story that would influence your teenage daughter to look you in the eye and promise on her soul that she will never text while she drives. Because most of them were the corporate authority model of if I ever catch you or hear about you texting while you're driving, you won't see that car again until you're 25. That's the typical way a CEO would talk to his teenage daughter. And so we have them come up with vulnerability stories. And one of them was true. This guy said to his daughter, a guy I golf with, his daughter hit a pole and it punctured her lungs and she's in the ICU and he's worried about whether she's going to make it. And you have to promise me that you're never going to text while you drive because I just couldn't stand it if that happened to you. Instead of, if I ever find out you did that, 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 huge That's the leadership style we all have to adopt. And stories are fabulous for leadership because stories lead people to emotional conclusions. I can't help but think of how important love is in this equation. You know, love's an interesting word because if you had 30 people in a room to all take out a piece of paper and write their definition of love down, you'd probably get 30 definitions. So it's personal. Can you put a little more framework around what love is to you? It's the highest vibrating emotion that we as humans have. I agree. And it's something that I'm talking a lot more about when I do trainings. Corporations are talking more about. It is what will get someone to feel valued. Yeah. You know, and that's what people want. If you feel that love from your leader... Come you on. do. I you, know. You'll, you'll walk on high coals to follow them. 
So we don't talk about love much, but it is an emotion that we as humans, it can move us to do the impossible and to connect in ways that we never thought we could. And so we need to speak more of it and especially in corporations and in leadership positions. And we're going to have to message it in such a way that it doesn't threaten the vulnerability of the alpha male. Interesting that it would do that. I don't know. It does. All right. So we'll work on that. All right. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, Mike? I just wish for all of them to be as happy in their relationship as I am in mine. And there's a possibility if they get this app. You know, another thing that we're hearing, especially from men, I always like hear what the men say, is they love the thought helpers, which gives them a menu of ways to say what they're feeling, dramatically increases their learning curve on that. You know, most men who are seeing a therapist won't share that fact with their friends. Hmm. There's shame around it for so many men. It's shame around asking for help. There's shame around the fact that their relationship isn't working the way they thought it would in the beginning. Everybody starts off so in love, right? And now they have shame when that doesn't work. But when you open this thing up at two in the morning when you're in bed and read about shame or read about betrayal or whatever and learn about it, it can be transformative. Really important work. Mike, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Lily. This was a pleasure. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.